0: Hello there everyone, welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And on this episode, we have a very special guest. named name is Jenna Herbert. I actually know her from Vancouver, BC, uh, Canada, through all these different events she runs. She runs uh, major trade shows uh, to do with arts and crafts. I, I, my wife's really into it. So uh, she goes every year and then she drags me along to support her and carry the shopping bags. Uh, but uh, uh, she, uh, Jenna also does uh, events with like Chris Gillibo at Hootsuite, which I attended. And uh, she's had an online university. Huh. She does etc so there's a lot of stuff uh, you know that Jenna does which allows her the freedom and the flexibility to travel and she's done some amazing travels like a cruise in the Mediterranean last year a family reunion she's also traveled with a brother which is a unique travel scenario so we'll be picking your brain about how it is to travel with your brother terms <laughs> of the blessings and the challenges so Jenna uh, to start off with why don't you share a little bit more about your background uh, who are you what you do and a little bit about your travel story
1: Sure. I would love to. Um, well, I've never really had a real job. I, I was a really bad waitress when I was in university. I went to the U of A, so University of Alberta in Edmonton. And uh, yeah, I was a waitress then. And then I started my first company actually when I was in school. So it was a project for one of my marketing classes. And I came up with um, this belt company called Booty Belts. And a booty belt is really just like this scarf belt, had a little buckle on it, and it was just a plan I wrote for this project. And then after I graduated, no, I actually started it while I was in school, and then after I graduated, I thought, hmm, maybe I could actually do this and sell these things. And so I did. I knew nothing about fashion or really sewing. Like, the first booty belts were basically like sewed in my parents' basement. I used a lot of glue gun, because I didn't really know how to sew very well, yeah, I was just so passionate and enthusiastic and I think some of the stores that initially bought them probably felt sorry for me. Um, so I did that and slowly and surely I, I was able to get some professional sewers and eventually a small factory in Alberta. Um, but to make a long story short, I ended up selling them to about 120 stores. So it became a pretty big thing and um, after a couple of years, like I was in my early 20s, And I had all this stock because I was mass producing these things for like 120 stores. So I was, you know, producing them in the hundreds if not thousands every month. And so I ended up with a lot of stock because the trends kind of changed and the booty belts weren't selling as fast. Um, So a friend of mine asked if I wanted to sell at a street festival. So I thought, okay, like that could be kind of fun. Like I have all this stock, I should probably get rid of it. So I sold at a street festival in Edmonton. And it was such an amazing experience because it was so cool to see the people that actually bought the belts and interact with them instead of all B2B and dealing with buyers and intermediaries. So then I became like a, a nomadic, carny, traveling gypsy where I just sold at festivals and you know um, street festivals, music festivals, folk fests, um, you name it, and then eventually craft fairs. And this was back like 10 years ago. So Etsy was fairly new, um, I mean Facebook was just created at that time too so there was almost this like this change that was starting to happen and i've always spent a lot of time in new york so i kind of saw this like craft being cool movement because uh, before these craft shows were kind of i don't know they were they were fun but they yeah. weren't that, that i should lie they weren't that fun they weren't that cool and like my <laughs> friends didn't want to come so i thought well what if there was a bar and music then my friends would want to come so Yeah, that's kind of how I got started in producing shows and they just grew and grew. And my brother Chandler, um, he used to help out at the shows and then one day he just came to me and he's like, there's nothing for dudes. Like there's all these guys, like you said, you get dragged to the show. There's all these guys and they're bored and they get dragged by their wives and girlfriends. So he came up with a t-shirt line for for men um, called Ole Originals, O-L-E. And, uh, yeah, just killed it because he literally had a monopoly for all the dudes at the show. And then that's when he kind of came to me and was like, hey, you know, it's really crazy what you're doing. Like, I think this could be big because I had started producing craft shows with a friend of mine who was a jeweler. So, yeah, my brother quit his job and then we rebranded as Make It. And, yeah, ran the company together for eight years, and then last year I actually bought him out because his Oli line. I'm not sure if you're familiar, Ricky, but like they're the Vancouver T-shirts, and like everyone has them. I've yeah, seen, I've seen them. Yeah, so they're really popular, and you know he does like the non-touristy, touristy T-shirt basically. Hi. <laughs> Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, he just started selling these things like crazy, and he just couldn't keep up with working naked and then working t-shirts. So then he, he, um, yeah, I bought him out, and the rest is kind of history. So the show's grown, grown from just a few vendors, like the first one maybe had 25, and now we're up to about 275 for our holiday show, and we're in Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary, and we do the shows biannually. The shows are amazing, by the way. I'm very impressed by
0: the quality, the production, the number of the variety is uh, amazing. All the different vendors, a few of my friends actually vendors there. And, uh, uh, you know, like you said, I'm a dude, but I actually enjoy uh, seeing uh, the passion of these entrepreneurs. Uh, A lot of them are uh, maybe not as entrepreneurial, but they're they're trying to get into it. And I I think that's what you you did. You actually trained artisans to be entrepreneurs because they're different skill sets. Usually artists just want to make. Uh, They don't uh, necessarily have that business, entrepreneurial, let's make money mindset. So tell us about how you transition them from artisans to entrepreneurs.
1: Well, sometimes it's easier said than done. And you're so right. I think... um you know, they are entrepreneurs because they're in business and they're selling their work, but there is such a resistance. Um, I'm actually, I'm writing a book and I just submitted my manuscript on Friday, so oh, <laughs> it's a big relief. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's the book is called Make It Happen, and it's about how to take that idea and, you know, make it into a business, basically. So, uh, yeah, it's. Writing a book was really hard, and I'm still not done. I'll be editing probably all summer. But um, yeah, like the reason I wrote it is because I see all these really creative people who have this passion and this love for what they make. But yeah, the business side of things can definitely be a challenge. But it's all a mindset change because – And in a way, like doing all this research for the book, like I changed my own brain. And it's just really amazing how behaviors and habits and rituals and thoughts and who you hang out with, I mean, they all affect what you decide is possible for yourself. And I think so many artists decide that making a lot of money just is not possible for themselves based on their peer group or based on what, you know, society has told them. But it's like, it's so silly because Why not be abundant and why not get your work out there? Because just naturally, the more you get your work out there, the more money that comes back. So, yeah, hopefully the book will help.
0: Absolutely. Congratulations. I know how hard it is to write a book. I did one uh, four years ago about fatherhood. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm uh, super proud of anyone who actually goes from writing the book, uh, sorry, having the idea to write the book to actually publishing it. So uh, I'm curious about – how artisans can actually make money online because it's one thing uh to obviously do trade shows such as the one you're doing but a whole yeah. other ball game to actually do an e-commerce store like something like etsy uh and uh, that's a great way that our uh, artisans can become digital nomads by selling this stuff online and then uh working from anywhere so tell us more about how they can do that jenna
1: well i think yeah there's possibility for anyone to do anything but like it's they have to decide what they want their life to be like before. So, I think for someone who wants to be a digital nomad and travel the world and sell what they make, I mean, there's a few different ways. If you're doing an online store, I mean, you would have to have someone on the ground and almost have like a bit of a shipping receiving thing going on. Um, but what happens, and this is where I was when I was doing booty belts and still with Make It, is like I hustle like a mofo for the show, and then January, February, even March, um, stuff is a little bit more relaxed, so then I can travel. And even in the summer, you know, it's possible to travel for me, because we have our shows in April, and then I'm kind of done, and then, you know, ramps back up in maybe August, September. So I think that's probably what a lot of them do, is they just work really hard, and then they are able to take chunks of time off, Um, I mean, it's just a matter of organization and kind of planning ahead, I think, to really make that possible. Um, Yeah, so, and I mean, there's there's craft shows and things all over the world, too, so maybe that's also a possibility to go live somewhere for a bit, And, and that's what's kind of universal about markets, is there's literally everywhere in the world, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you have an interesting business model because, uh, like you said, you're uh, doing uh, three major conferences, three major trade shows, and then you have a lot of free time, not obviously leading up to it because you're super stressed, obviously, running it, but after mm-hmm. it's done, you can kind of uh, take a break, uh, travel. So, tell us about some of the amazing places that you personally have traveled through in the last few years of uh,
1: running Make It. Um, quite a few. I, I've been to Bali a few times. I really love Bali. I was in India in um, February of this year. Yeah, like you mentioned, my mom turned 70 last summer, so my family went on a Mediterranean cruise around like France, Italy, Spain. And then my brother and I spent some time in Croatia. And Croatia was amazing. I, I was really blown away by the beauty and just everything's so clean. Like, it's an amazing place to go. Not cheap, but I was actually surprised how expensive it was. When we first got there, like the currency, I I forget what their currency is called, like the Kuna or something. And uh, we had no idea what the conversion was. So I ordered a pizza and then later I figured out it was like $35. But it was such a good pizza, I didn't even care. (laughs) So it's, it's not the cheapest place in the world, but it's beautiful. Um, Let me think, I've gone to Thailand a few times and yeah, spent a lot of time in Europe, like in Scandinavia and yeah, there's still so much more to see. It's pretty endless. Absolutely, Jenna. I'm curious about how it is to travel with your
0: brother because, uh, you know, some siblings, they love each other. Some people get on each other's nerves. So tell us about your relationship, you and your your brother. I mean, obviously, you ran a business together, so you must uh, like each other to some degree. But how is it in terms of uh, both uh, running a business together but also traveling together? Tell us a little bit about the insiders sibling (laughs) uh, relationship. Well,
1: yeah, my brother and I are pretty close in age. We're only two and a half years apart. And yeah, from running a business together, we are close. And, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends it's good because we kind of do our own thing a little bit like my brother likes nightlife and partying a lot more than I do I'm kind of a grandma so I like to go to bed early <laughs> like not too early but I just I don't like to waste a day I don't like to be hungover and feel disgusting the next day so he definitely is more of a partier than I am um yeah but I think in a way that's what's kind of cool because like I've traveled you know with ex-boyfriends and you know friends and stuff and like you can't just ditch them as much as you can ditch your brother (laughs) because I think when you're traveling with a partner you know you're more together all the time which is awesome if you're like in a great relationship then of course that's amazing but yeah traveling as siblings I think it's cool because you can kind of do it's kind of like solo travel but then you can meet up and you know have dinner or whatever but uh, yeah yeah we get along well I don't know if it's for everyone um, sometimes you meet other siblings that are traveling, but I don't think it's that common.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've interviewed about 70, 75 guests already, and I don't think I've ever interviewed uh, sibling travelers. I actually uh, interviewed a uh, uh, mother and son who are traveling together. They're, uh, she's a single mom, and she's traveling around the world uh, for four years with a son who's uh-huh. a teenager, and that's an interesting relationship. Um, and I interviewed uh, a lot of families, obviously, like myself, who travel with the kids. But uh, never a brother-sister, so you're the first.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'll let my brother know that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Jenna, uh, uh, now that you've uh, successfully been running these events for a few years, uh, you have the book lined up. Uh, what does the future hold? What's your vision going forward, both for your business and for your travels?
1: Um... Well this summer, as I, I was telling you before the interview started, like this is the first summer I haven't traveled, so it's kind of, it's weird, but it's nice. I, you can see out my window how, what a beautiful day it is in Vancouver. <laughs> Finally, there's some sun and heat. So I don't know, in a way I'm really happy to stay and enjoy the city because I feel like in past years I was missing out on everything. Um... But I, yeah, as far as like expansion for Make It, like that's definitely a possibility. Um, I'm sort of less involved in the day-to-day operations of Make It, which has been a 10-year process in the making. It's not always easy, but I just want to be able to do other things. And man, writing this book was so hard. And I know I'm still not done. There's probably so much I need to still do. But yeah, like once once it's published, I would love to travel with it and speak and just, you know, I'm still really passionate about the maker community. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully I can get opportunities to meet people all over the world.
0: Yeah, a uh, book definitely gives you that leverage uh, in terms of you, you being the expert, obviously, but also uh, traveling and uh, speaking at different uh, book uh, fairs and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, doing uh, a bookstore and book signings around the world, maybe getting your book uh, in different stores as well. So that's yeah. something I know I need to do a little bit more of. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious also, Jenna, about uh, events. I mean, that's something you've uh, perfected, to, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you can never act, ever actually perfect an event, even though Olympics was no. the, no. the Grammy, so that's why I was saying perfected. Um, yes. Tell us about uh, what tips or advice you give to someone who's just starting, uh, who wants to run events, and uh, they don't know where to start. Oh, so what tips would you give to them? Over here, I mean, you have like 10 years of experience, so you yeah. obviously made a lot of, a lot of mistakes. So what mistakes have you made and what uh, what could others are starting learn from you?
1: Well, the biggest tip I'll give is start small. Start so, so small and execute it with like excellence across every board. Because what I see, and I mean, sometimes I just kind of smile to myself because I just know... Probably not gonna work out. It's just like, oh my god, like too too ambitious. Like, and it's amazing, and like I love that quality in people. Like, it's endearing to be super ambitious off the get go, but it doesn't usually work out. Like, I see a lot of people now starting craft fairs because now craft shows are cool and trendy, and people want to do them. But I think it's just starting with a lot of integrity and just building your audience and like. Really in the beginning, um, you know, we don't really have any money to advertise or money to promote. So we just really empowered, we call them makeys, um, the people that participate at Make It. And we just, you know, put it kind of on them. We're like, you're part of this event, it's gonna be awesome. Like tell all your friends and family. And we still do that. So I mean, a lot of our advertising, yes, we do billboards and bus ads and stuff like that now, but like it's still like word of mouth for the most part. So I think for anyone starting an event, like Keep it really small. Be humble, and just have that natural, organic growth, um, because that's going to sustain you long term. Don't do anything too crazy. Like, of course, you have to have jumps. Like, we went from the Croatian Cultural Center of Vancouver to the PE, which is way, way bigger. But um, you know, we had also been in business for about five or six years when we did that move. So you know, we still had, we still had a, a big following. So yeah, start small. <laughs> Hello? Thank you.